Welcome to the Maker Vision Podcast, a podcast where we help you take your ideas from a dream to reality. Each episode will cover topics to help you overcome frustrations we all encounter in our maker community. I'm Trevor Wanamaker, a part-time maker running MakerExperiment.com, and my co-host Stephen Ellis is a part-time woodworker running Old South Woodcraft. We have both encountered bumps and pitfalls along the road we call making, and we are using this podcast to help you avoid the same pitfalls. Welcome to the Maker Vision Podcast for episode 19, where we're going to talk about getting into lasers. What's going on, Stephen? Not much, man. Not much. Uh, it is actually a a nice weekend in South Carolina. We haven't had those in a while. Uh, the rain stopped sometime Friday, and it has been nice ever since. So I have been enjoying quite a bit of shop time and outside time. So it's been it's been nice here. That's improvement. Yes, it's much 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 improved. So, good to know. How about things with you, man? Are you doing better? You you look better. You sound better. Getting better. Last week, I managed to ruin three signs that I was working on. So, this weekend, I have so far managed to fix, well, not fix, but completely redo and do well two of them. So, it's getting there. Redemption. Good. Good, good, good. Have you worked out your issue with the acrylic glue yet? Kind of. I used a completely different one this time. So instead of the super thin liquid one, it's more of like a... It's a lower viscosity, but it's uh, more like E2000. I have no idea It's, it's more like a tacky glue. It doesn't Almost run like a... as easily, but it's still not as thick as like rubber cement would be. So it's okay. kind of like a in the middle. Uh, Almost like spray glue you spray it on and then it, I mean, give it a few minutes to tack and it tacks really well. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's not spray, but yeah. So, yeah. but I've actually ordered a roll of 3M tape that's double-sided tape made mm-hmm. for signage that I can stick to the back of acrylic and then laser and then just peel and stick. And it's supposed to hold up to weather. So the problem with it is it's super expensive. It's like $250 for a roll that's 60 yards long. Yeah, that sounds about right. That's like they're most three, like the 3M adhesives are very expensive. Yeah. Thankfully, uh, I know a lot about 3M adhesive because our our local 3M, that's like their primary thing is making tapes and adhesives. Don't know why, but that's uh, that's just what they make locally. So, mm. well, next time you go, score me some tape. Uh, trust me, they will not let me leave there with anything. <laughs> well, of it is not. very very secure. I As mean, some of these manufa- manufacturing facilities I've been to, these little mom and pop things are like, I'm like, man, that's really cool. I'd like to know more about that. And they're like, here, this is an off cut. Just just take it. We don't care. We don't want to throw it away. Nice. So yeah. What are you watching this week? What am I watching this week? I am watching Man Finds Food. So it's the guy from Travel Channel that was Man versus Food, 
where he like did these crazy eating challenges, but I think it like was taking a toll on his body because throughout the season you could see him drastically getting bigger, and now he's like he's kind of thin and or not he's not really thin, but he's he's uh, thin down and he's toned. And what he does is he finds these hole in the wall restaurants, and then finds the secret menu item. You know, like In and Out has you know if you ask for it. Um, Oh gosh, what is that? The animal or whatever it was. Anim- animal style or whatever. Um, I forget exactly how what how it goes, but you know, if you if you say the right thing or you know who to ask to get a secret menu item, that's what he does. So he goes through and he finds like a couple places in each big, you know, locale, Chicago, Philly, New York, Vegas. Um so he uh he just does that. It's pretty cool. Well, this week I am watching Incredibles 2. We rented it last night, and the girls loved it. We ended up watching it, I think, two or three times before we had to give it back. But now they want to own it, so it looks like Incredibles 2 might be on the Christmas list. Oh, Incredibles 2 is so awesome. I watched it. I think we actually watched it when it came out. It was one of the few movies we've seen when it came out. So we plan to get it on Black Friday sales because it's under ten dollars i think that's a good idea and the kids loved it i mean it's hard not to like incredibles it's just so good well people were bashing it because they were saying we waited 20 years for this or whatever yeah it was like this is underwhelming and i actually thought it was good from a like they actually picked it up where they left off which most sequels don't do no it's like five six seven years down the road something like that yeah and it's you know and you've got a big evolution. Here, you don't have the big evolution. It's it's literally going from one directly into another. Which was the first time I think I've seen that in a very long time, if not ever. Yeah, I mean... I don't remember another movie that has actually picked off exactly where... Or picked up exactly where it left off. I mean, other than, like, Star Wars. The OG Star Wars, I guess. What I would mm. say was, what, four, five, and six... You know, they pretty much, like, they didn't show a significant gap in time between the movies. No, but they also didn't, if they left off, you know, flying a ship, they mm-hmm. didn't pick up flying a ship. Flying a ship, that's Like, this that's was true. like, they left off on the Underminer and picked up on the Underminer. Very true. So, the girls liked it, so I think we're going to get it. Good, good. I, I highly suggest it. So, it sounds like, it sounds like you had good, good fun stuff to watch. So, yeah. All right. So let's get into uh, let's get into lasers because the last couple episodes I feel like I've talked a lot, uh, which well, this you know, episode, is pretty normal for me. I feel like you're not going to talk much at all. <laughs> I have a feeling I'm going to be the uh, the quote unquote moderator. I'm going to have the questions, you know, the very pointed questions. I don't know that I'm going to provide that much input. Uh, seeing as how I don't own a laser, and I probably won't ever own a laser, so it's just not in my workflow. So. It's like 60 minutes about lasers. Yeah, exactly. Andy Rooney on lasers, that would be a good one. Sharks and laser beams. Sharks and laser beams. Alright, so <laughs> I guess let's get down to the nitty gritty. Um, I guess, how do lasers, I mean, I guess, how do a laser, how does a laser work? I mean, the pretty simple rundown of a laser. So, on a laser, you'll have the the tube that holds all the gas or whatever that's going to be going through and actually doing all the work. Mm-hmm. 
And the way the machines are set up, it kind of shoots that uh, gas out the side of the tube. So you can't really go directly onto your material, because if so, your machine would be like 10 feet wide or something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So what they do is they set up a series of mirrors to bounce the signals to their final location. So if it goes out the side of the tube, it'll bounce off a mirror to go forward, and then it'll bounce off another mirror to go back to the right, and then it'll bounce off another mirror to go down and through the lens. And then that lens actually focuses all that energy onto your material and is how it works. It basically focuses into one section. So it's like an overhead projector. It is exactly like an overhead projector. (laughs) You've got this really big thing with a lot of light, and then it goes up, and it hits a mirror, and then it hits another mirror, and then it hits a magnifying lens, and then Mm -hmm. then that flips the image and then makes it It project onto a screen. It is very similar. Hey, look, I did know something about lasers. There you go. But yeah, they I mean they're pretty easy to use from that perspective. There's not that many moving parts. Yeah, it's basically like X, Y, and Z axis. And the Z axis doesn't move during the operation. It usually you just set it's, it. It's and, based on it's based on the laser parameters. And it's based on your material thickness, yeah. Gotcha. Just like design, there's the raster and the vector aspects. So Mm -hmm. in the laser, in the settings, you'll see raster, which is going to be everything engraving. And then you'll see vector, which is everything cutting. And there's two separate settings. So you can have the vector cutting be a different speed and power than the raster engraving. So you can fine-tune things. Gotcha. So raster basically doesn't necessarily have a z component to it whereas the vector is a lot of it is is the z component and the z component that's going to play into it is a combination of the speed and power so if you have an eighth of an inch material you're going to have different power and speed settings than if you have quarter inch material gotcha but that's kind of like the high level and really you don't need to know much more than that to get started and aligning the mirrors and all that stuff that go into it is usually spelled out in the owner's manual and they'll have how-to videos on most lasers of how to do it. So it's pretty easy from a get up and running standpoint if you have a good laser. Now I've had a crappy-ish laser where aligning the mirrors took me like an hour and then I did one job and they became misaligned. You got to be careful. Boo. So literally, I mean, most of the, if you have a, if you understand the design portion of it, if you understand the, the graphics portion of it on the computer side, then really using the laser is, pardon the pun, is a trial, a trial by fire. Yeah. Yeah. Every material is going to have different settings. Every, even the same material of different thicknesses will have different settings. So yeah. it's all trial and error cool but once you have it you can save those settings so you don't have to remember them and you can just go in and say hey i have eighth inch acrylic click it and it loads everything that you saved cool all right so that's that's pretty straightforward i know you've talked about this in the past and i know you own a co2 laser right you own a gas laser correct 
but there's other laser types because you sometimes talk about a fiber laser. I mm-hmm. don't have a freaking clue what that is. So I guess break down kind of your like types of lasers, not manufacturers, but actual how they work process, you know. The main two are CO2 and fiber, mm-hmm. and they're considered flatbed lasers. And then there's another type of laser that is of the same kind of CO2 fiber, but it's called a Galvo. So CO2 is basically what you would use for acrylic, wood, paper, leather, uh, engraving, things like glass, stone, coated material, or coated metals, like anodized aluminum, and things of that nature. And then fiber is more for engraving non-coated metals. So if you're doing stainless steel tumblers, fiber laser would directly mark the stainless steel. You can do them with CO2, but it requires a special kind of spray called Surmark, or there's other ones. But they usually cost maybe... 80 or $90 for a can that's about the size of a spray paint can. So it, it can still be done on a CO2 laser, but you're with a CO2 laser, you're basically having a reaction with the spray coating to create a marking on stainless steel and not directly engraving the stainless steel. So it can come off over time if it's not done well. So it, it basically you're not actually cutting the metal you're just you're taking the surface off yeah and co2 will not cut through metals fiber can if it's a high enough wattage it can cut through certain ones and then galvo is basic by seventy a small format so instead of being you know two feet by three feet or whatever it might be like seven by seven by seven and it has multiple mirrors all over. Mm-hmm. And it's meant more for things like rings. So, you know, like jewelry engraving, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, where it can go super, super fast because it's got so many mirrors working together, but it can't do big stuff. Like, it can't do a two foot by three foot. It can only do something small. So, that's where it's better for. The kind of the jewelry aspect because it works really fast but it has limitations on the size capacity so basically it'd be better for like small little plaques and signage and things like that things that i mean probably smaller yeah. than you know smaller than you know than a cup roughly they're still expensive though i would imagine so i mean if you're going to be doing something that involves precious metals or doing any sort of like engraving on a nice mm-hmm. metal I, w- I shouldn't necessarily say precious metals but non-ferrous metals yeah. Um, you're generally going to have money in that anyways. I mean, even a thin piece of brass is decently expensive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the the CO2 lasers are the cheaper ones to get into. And then kind of fiber and galvo are more expensive. And fiber, I, I think even like Chinese fiber lasers start at 10 or 15,000. Yeesh. So they're not cheap. So you're looking at probably like a thirty, closer to a thirty thousand dollar investment for a, 
American laser. I mean, it's still probably made in China or Japan, but it's backed by a U.S. company. Yeah, that's probably where you're going to be. You're going to be definitely in the 20s. Okay. All right. Um, but I, I, know- I would recommend CO2 if you're not planning on doing metals. And even if you're planning on doing like stainless steel tumblers, I would probably go CO2 and just buy the spray. Unless that's all you're going to do. So basically, I would imagine what Chad from Mancrafting, because I mean, that's his specialty mm-hmm. is doing these these like uh, Yetis. Yep. Um, is he doing a he has a spray CO2. paint? Well, I know he has a, I, I think he has a CO2 because I think I've seen it. Mm-hmm. But is it a spray paint or is it a um, he, powder coating? He is powder coating. So he okay. Actually, so it's not going to break down then. No, and he unless powder you scratch coats. it. Correct. So he powder coats and heat treats or whatever and cooks his own coatings okay and he's had issues where you know the powder coating didn't take well i think i think that's a prep issue it's powder coating is uh from my experience a little bit of experience with it whenever i used to like really deal with cars and stuff powder coating is really hit or miss the guys Mm -hmm. that do powder coating well can do a phenomenal job and you'll never know how good it is and how much work they put into it he does. Um, but you, it can go really bad. It can go real bad real quick. Yeah. I mean, he does a great job with it, and he he mainly focuses on those mugs. So if you're going to focus on mugs and you want to focus on solely stainless steel or something, fiber laser is the way to go. But if you're going to have ones that you buy that are anodized and have a coating, CO2 will do just fine. Okay. And it'll All be right. cheaper too. Yeah, I think, I mean, I really like the look of anodized aluminum, and it's usually pretty cheap material, even pre-anodized, it's it's cheap, which technically you can do anodizing of aluminum in your shop if I you wouldn't, know chemistry. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it, but you I, w- I would definitely not recommend it to the novice, but, you know, some, I imagine some of our listeners have a pretty good chemistry-based background, um... Whenever I was in college, one of my engineering classes, there was a guy that that's that's what he like. That's how he made all of his side money was he just basically had access to cheap aluminum. Like, I don't know where he found aluminum this cheap, but he would anodize in his home, in his basement, and then sell blanks to people making knives or making this, that and the other. I mean, it was I think he sold them like 30 or 40 dollars a box and there was normally like one or two blanks in it. Well, and for those that don't know what anodizing is or, you know, what an anodized thing is, woodpeckers, like all their squares and tools, the red stuff, that's all anodized. anodized. Yeah. And anodizing is is basically a chemical um, colorant process, especially for Mm -hmm. aluminum. I think it can apply to other metals, but aluminum is the easiest thing because painting aluminum is not the easiest thing in the world. It won't always bond. But the anodization is a chemical process that is a basically permanent bond. You have to scratch the surface off the aluminum to get the anodizing off. Um, But it's not very thick. It's it's like it's less than a thousandth thick. Yeah, and it's great for laser engraving. So they laser engrave all their tools. Yeah. So it's it's a great way to mark metals. Yep. Yep. So those that are looking at maybe doing something with metals, um, anodizing would be a good good place to go. Powder coating is also good because you can do that in your shop. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty pretty safe. You it's can just also, there's a lot of prep work. 
You can also buy things that are pre-anodized and pre-coated and you don't have to yeah. worry about it. And then yeah. there's the, the typical question is, should I get a laser or should I get a CNC? And we're not going to go through all of the differences in this episode. But honestly, both. They each have yeah. their strengths. So if you can get both, get both. If you can only get one at a time, it all depends on what you want to make more. What, what material you're working with and what your end, end goal is going to be. Yeah. Now, that leads me into something that I do know a little bit about. The the, the uh, CNC machine that has a laser component to it. You can buy a separate laser head. You can. You're basically... It's it's like saying, okay, I've got two great machines, and I'm going to try to put two great machines together, but it doesn't make one great machine. Correct. Because, so I mean, because the the ones I've seen are really slow. It makes it like a one and a quarter machine. So yeah. if you put two together, you you don't get a full two out. So yes, the issue with those, and don't it's get me like wrong, an El Camino. Like, if you have one and you're only going to engrave, that's fine. But it's going to be slow because it's you're using the same motors as your CNC machine. You're using the same software. The lasers are typically like less than five watts. I think they're like four point two, maybe. And they're so compact. There's not a lot. You can tell that there's not going to be a lot of power in them because they're too compact to really have any punch. And you really need to wear. There's a special kind of glasses you need to wear with those because it's the lasers open. So it doesn't have like protection from the housing or anything. So you need to wear special glasses using those. The other thing with those is they are going to be, they're probably slower even than a Chinese laser. Just because to get a deep engraving or to get a relatively dark engraving, you have to have a pretty high power or a really low speed or a combination of both. And those are already going to be slow to begin with. So don't get me wrong, though. They are fantastic if you can only afford one machine and you want to be able to do engraving. But the majority of your stuff's going to be cutting thicker materials. A CNC with a laser attachment is a great idea. I think the laser attachments are like $1,000. Typically, yeah, I think I've seen the ones that they sell like Woodcraft. It's like maybe like fifteen hundred bucks. Yeah, um, no. because I because I think it's got like one or two extra things that come with it. It's not just like just a head that you attach to your CNC. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's a good option. Just realize that it's very slow at engraving. I think there was there's a guy in town that has a laser. I think he said. He he laser engraved something, and it took like 17 hours. Oh, dear God. And if he had a dedicated laser that was big enough to do it, it probably would have taken half the time, if not less. So it can be a significant difference in speed. Yeah, I mean, when you did all my Christmas, like all my Christmas gifts last year, mm -hmm. I think what we did like a dozen... A dozen engravings. I mean, ranging from very small, like my logo, mm -hmm. so that's maybe two by two inches, yeah. up to that one full-size thing from my grandparents. I think we had it done in an hour. I'm not Everything even sure it took was that engraved long. in it. 
Well, I think it took that long because we had to because not every part was the same uh, size. We yeah, had like to like set, move including them. setup, yeah. Including setup, yeah. It was a total of an hour pulling each thing in and out, setting them up, trying to figure out where the laser was gonna was gonna hit. Yeah, mm-hmm. we might have had a, a total of an hour. Yeah. So that's where having a dedicated machine really sets itself apart. And it depends on the machine. So if you have a piece of crap machine, it's, <laughs> it's not gonna go nearly that fast. No, 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 no. But and yeah, it right. also depends on the operator. Correct. If you someone know what you're doing, just starting, it can go it, fast. yeah. Someone just starting out, they may not be able to do a dozen things in an hour. You had, you know, you've already engraved and cut so many things that it took no time to get anything set up. Yeah, I you mean, know I've exactly what your feed rates were. You know exactly what your feed rate is. You know what wattage you're putting out. Yep. It's a couple clicks, drag and import what file we want, and done. And if it's a new material. I usually start off of material I know that's fairly mild from a setting standpoint. And then if I have to go over it again, I go over it again. Yeah. It's one of those things you can always take away more material, but you can't put it back. Pretty much. So. Pretty much. Anyway. All right. So now that we've talked about like the types of lasers, um, I know one thing you always talk about is uh, like coolants. I mean, because yes. you, when you're dealing with something that's putting out that, I don't know how many degrees that is I on a laser. Honestly, don't know. I'd say well over like two thousand, probably enough to cause a fire. Enough, definitely enough to cause a fire, which it is not a lot of heat to cause a fire. But um, coolant systems, because you're talking about a lot of mm-hmm. power and you're talking about a lot of heat generation and build up. Yes. Um, what I mean, I guess you've got here listed on the outline water cooled. Is it actually water or is it some sort of coolant? It is distilled water. Okay, so there, it's not a coolant then. It's not like Correct. machining metal where it is a petroleum or oil type thing. It's it's literally water. It is literally distilled water. And it well, has that's... to be distilled water. That does make things slightly, you know, slightly easier if you have some reason to have a leak or something like that and yeah. you need to get more. You can probably find that anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I bought mine at Walmart. When yeah, I, I mean, had Walmart one. has it. Because I think Walmart, I think in the baby aisle, I think they have distilled water. Uh, they had it on the water aisle, too. Okay. I can't remember if it's distilled water or deionized water that they have at, uh, at Walmart. My day job, we have to use a certain kind of water to clean things, so... I know occasionally yeah. I'll, I have to go to the baby aisle and there's tons of water. I mean, you can get it at pretty much any grocery store, I think. Yeah, yeah. Or uh, fish uh, aquarium places. Aquarium places have... I haven't tried that. Yeah, because they have different types of water for different kinds of fish. Makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, there's two basic kinds. There's water-cooled and then there's air-cooled. So I've had both. I have my preferences by far. Okay. So I, I imagine that they're, you know, I know for sure your your preference is air-cooled because you have an air-cooled machine now. I know mm-hmm. that's what you had. When you had water-cooled, it was your cheapy machine from overseas. Correct. But on a big, large format laser, are they air-cooled or water-cooled? Both. That's what I figured. Depends I figured on was... what company you go with. Gotcha. So something in the what, like the four by four range, or, or larger, like four um, foot by four foot, four foot by four foot. So lasers, 
they're kind of opposite CNC machines. Like they don't have a four foot by four foot. Uh, that but I, I mean, of. roughly four foot by four foot bed. I think yeah. it, what is it in millimeters or something that it runs? No, it's. I mean, it's in inches. Um, oh, it is an. In, it is in. Well, inches. it depends okay. on the company. I mean, some are metric, but you have the option depending on the company you go with. So, some companies have a max size machine that they make. So, for instance, Epilog, which is what I have, the max machine that I know of. I think is a 28 inch by 40 inch. So just over two foot by three foot. Okay. So that's not, that's not huge, but I mean, in sign terms, that's decent that's size. Big. Yeah. And then they, you know, you have, uh, Chinese ones or Chinese imported ones that you can get are four foot by eight foot. They're going to be water cooled. Gotcha. I don't know of any air cooled systems that do four foot by eight foot i don't know if that's because they don't see a market for them or the, not a as big of a market for them or I if wonder, it's something based on technology i have no idea my, my thinking is once you get so big the air cooled is not going to be as efficient that you you would need that liquid cooling it might it might be i honestly because i mean a four idea. foot by eight foot bed is probably large amount of wattage correct to push something that big usually if they're making a laser that big i don't think it's less than 120 watts okay but I and yours yours is for comparison yours is 40 40 watts okay so you're looking at triple triple the wattage yes so water cooled is going to be a glass tube so it's very breakable like if you drop it there's no chance that you're ever saving that thing it's gonna shatter if you forget to drain it all the way and you live in a cold climate in the winter it will freeze and, and break bust. yeah so there's more things to worry about with a water cooled so you have to also make sure water's completely running through the whole thing with zero air bubbles before you ever fire the laser up because that can also cause issues the other thing with these is the water-cooled is on just about every Chinese machine and a lot of the imported Chinese machines that are rebranded. And then air-cooled is the main three companies that use air-cooled are Trotec, Epilog, and Universal. Okay. So it's basically a metal tube with fins for the air it's like a heat sink where yeah, the air it's, travels it through the just fins like a, just like a heat sink yeah uh so i mean the companies use slightly different technology in the tube itself but if you dropped it it might dent the fins or something but it's not going to shatter the tube it might break something inside of it but you're not going to have a bunch of glass to clean up yeah granted but the thing you is, shouldn't be touching it that's, other that's than what install. i'm thinking i'm like and other than whenever you are putting your machine together initially yeah you should never be handling the tube and even if you get it initially i and if you have an epilogue universal or trotec i don't think they require you to install the tube yourself i think it comes installed in many glass tube lasers they require you to install it Probably because whenever it's shipped, it's shipped in its own separate packaging. Correct. So it, doesn't, so it, doesn't it has less damaged. chance of breaking. Gotcha. I have the preference 
because I've had both. I prefer air-cooled, and the reason why... So I had a 40-watt water-cooled, and mm-hmm. now I have a 40-watt air-cooled. So it's pretty much apples to apples from a wattage comparison. Mm-hmm. The motors are different. So that plays into it, obviously. But I can cut through quarter-inch MDF and quarter-inch acrylic and other quarter-inch materials in one pass on an air-cooled. And when I had my water cooled, I could not do it in one pass. If I did it in two passes, it usually burned it so much that I couldn't actually use the end result. And then performance-wise, I had periods where the glass tube would cut through like 95% of the work and then the other 5% like it would mark it but not cut all the way through it Hmm. and I think it's just when it's running there can be times when the power is going through it but it doesn't necessarily all come through like maybe it's not running at an optimal peak performance yeah so I've had enough experience with both that I don't ever want to go back to a water cooled unless okay. I have no choice. Or if, I mean, if somebody gave me one for free to test out or something, I'd do that just to show comparisons and whatnot. But I would not purchase probably another water cooled. Gotcha. But granted, they come with steep price differences. So keep that in mind, which we'll yeah. get into that. Yeah. All right, so we touched on the air-cooled and the water-cooled, which, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, we couldn't, we, I don't know that sometimes we're comparing apples to apples on that one. I have a feel. I have a feeling like if Trotec had a water-cooled, then it might be a better design and it might be more efficient, but they just needed water-cooled because of the size capacity. I, I don't know. Um, so that's, that's a... my only thing in there. I mean, I know from what you've talked about in the past, mm-hmm. pretty much every cheapy from overseas is going to be water cooled because it's just the cheapest thing to make and the Correct. cheapest thing the manu- to to sell. And um, everything that you see that's imported and rebranded will also be water cooled, which I mean is fine. And water cooled is kind of the entry level hobby laser type of stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's people that run businesses that use a water-cooled one, more power to them. I mean, you can definitely make it happen. But when you start looking at, as another instance, my 40-watt epilogue has servo motors. My 40-watt water-cooled had stepper motors, which there's arguments on which ones are better regardless. But if I use the same exact settings to engrave something, the epilogue is almost twice as fast. Hmm. Which, when you're talking production level, if you are running a company, if you have a job that takes an hour on a water-cooled, it might take 30 minutes on an epilogue. And if you have 10 of those jobs to do, you save a lot of time. So I would say water-cooled is the cheaper investment in the short term. Air-cooled is the cheaper investment in the long term. Gotcha. All right. All right. That's good to know. So most machines are going to come with most of the stuff you need to to run them, right? Yep. I mean, it's going to, 
basically out of the box, once you figure out how to use it and you put it together, you can do most of your work. But are there things to make your production go quicker besides knowing your optimal settings and, and really getting to know your machine? Are there things that you need? Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you had a CNC, it's going to come with everything you need. But say you want to do specific style engravings, you're going to need a V-groove, like a 20-degree V-groove bit from a man or something like that to yeah. make this particular type of engraving. So what are the other things that you recommend to get with a laser? So some of these may or may not come with the laser depending on who you buy it from. But the vector cutting grid, it's kind of like a honeycomb grid. Yeah, a little that little aluminum thing yeah. that drops in the bottom. So it lets the laser pass through it so it gives you a better cut on the bottom the raster table which is more of like a metal this a metal table with just like perforated holes in it mm-hmm. and that one you're not really expecting to cut through anything because if you were to cut through it's going to leave like a a more filmy residue on the back of your stuff so that's why you use the vector table for cutting gotcha okay there's the rotary attachment, so that's basically what anybody doing cups, mugs, glasses, you'll... It's, it's basically your five-axis machine. It takes four. the X, Y. Well, I thought it was... I thought they're... For CNC, they're called a five-axis because they don't just... They go X, Y, Z, and then they go... Four. That's four. No, they go this way, too. So that one doesn't... Okay, so the laser doesn't pivot... Like, it doesn't rotate around an axis. Ah, okay. So what happens is you install this rotary attachment, and that Mm -hmm. attachment will spin, but the laser head itself is still going to be in the same position it was before. Okay. So So you just have this extra piece that's rotating the object for you. The laser head is not physically, like, rotating Uh, around an axis. It's still back and forth. I got you. Okay, see, I was thinking of like a uh, a water uh, water jet or a CNC where the piece stays per- mm-hmm. perfectly still, and the actual the cut whatever the cutting. I see what you mean. It, it moves and it's it moves in a, a circular axis. Think more of like a lathe. Okay. So All it's right. like it's like attaching a lathe to the laser. It's it's uh what they call like a turret head. It was it's able yeah. to rotate the stock. Correct. While the feet, while your actual laser feet stays in the same position, the stock moves. Yes. The laser stays the same. Okay. Like all right. the laser head will move back and forth, but mm-hmm. the rotation part of it is all going to be that that okay. fourth axis. Okay. So yeah, I totally. It's all good. There we go. Not knowing lasers, and I know machinery a little bit then better. Then you learn something. There we go. It's only it's a fourth axis. It's not a five axis yes. machine. And then gotcha. you have different lenses so typically whatever comes on it stock is enough i think typically the standard's two inch at least it is in mine but it doesn't refer to the actual size of the lens so you have a 1.5 inch a two inch a 2.5 a three it does not mean that the lens gets bigger it means the focal length is different and if you have a small focal length so 1.5 inch, I think, is the smallest I've seen. You can do extremely fine engraving really, really well. But your cutting may not be as good. 
Now the two inch is kind of the in the middle. Optimal. Yeah. Sort of, you know, it's a it's good for both for Correct. both sides of, of laser work. That's kinda like the I would call it the bread and butter lens for most lasers. <laughs> and then you have like if you did a four inch lens, it means you can cut through really thick stuff. But engraving is going to take a hit. Gotcha. So it depends on what you want to do. I would recommend just keeping the one that comes on at two inch. I think lenses are like a hundred and twenty five dollars a piece. Okay. And they do wear out over time, so they are considered a consumable. But it takes years for them to wear out. Because Usually it's, it's that, like it's the that film. constant the film and the the constant heat. Heat yeah. gain, heat loss. If you clean it, then you should be okay for a while. Gotcha. And then the venting and the air assist. So some machines, like overseas ones, they'll bundle it in the package and they'll just price it inside of it. Uh, Trotec and Epilogue Universal typically price them separately. So the air assist is to reduce the flame up. So if you have... A hot heat source hitting wood I mean it's gonna try to catch on fire so oh, yeah. the air assist is to basically put the fire out the whole time so it's usually a small compressor that's max like 30 psi and I get yeah. I have one that's small that just runs constantly and it's really quiet and yours is uh I think yours is a oilless yeah um it's just airbrush compressor yeah like using a, a artist airbrush correct and you don't okay. have to buy the one from them because the one from them is usually like three hundred dollars i went to harbor freight and bought mine for like 80 bucks yeah it might not last forever but whatever the other part is the exhaust fan so it's typically a dust collector type motor but you don't actually hook it up to the dust collection filters and stuff because they'll catch on fire you need to Connect it to like air dryer duct or, you know, like your clothes dryer. Metal, metal ducting, not yeah. plastic. So you need metal ducting coming from the laser into the mode or into the exhaust fan and then metal ducting from the exhaust fan to your exit point. So your exit point's going to be outside. So ducted outside. You can also buy like fume extraction machines, but they typically cost like four or $5,000. They're they're better for a production sort of shop. Yeah, where you can stick the laser in the middle and you don't have to mm -hmm. run all this piping to the outside. Yep, and they're good you, for it's, it's all self enclosed. If you go to a trade show, every laser company will have them standing next to the lasers so they can run them inside. Yeah, and around public and have no issues. Yeah, it's the same. It, it's basically the same concept as a. Uh, as a self-enclosed fume hood for, uh, like, in a chemistry lab. Some of those are ducted outside. Some of them are literally just uh, built in with uh, with filters and stuff in them, and they just recycle air. Um, I mean, I just I duck know, mine outside because I can't afford the exhaust filtration. No, there's there's like no stand. reason to. You, you work yeah. in a garage. And I think yeah. that is probably the best option for for most hobbyists because most of them have a garage space. It's just ducted outside. Um it's not te technically recommended to be in the garage. Like, there's ambient temperature recommendations for the laser. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of forced, space-wise, to be in the garage. I don't have a choice. 
Well, the thing is, in the summer, it's not great for it because no. that, ex- that extreme heat's not good for it. But in the winter, you don't have to worry about, oh, right. it's going to get below, you know, X degree. And it's the, the, the computer's not going to work well. It's not going to be smooth, everything like that. Yeah. Um, so that's definitely, you know, good for our people that are overseas that mm-hmm. listen. Um, I know we have a couple of listeners from the UK where your your winter and your spring temperatures are not optimal for working in an unconditioned space. And the other thing to keep in mind is all lasers are different, come with different options. So like some lasers run their software off the cloud. Some lasers you have dedicated software, but once you send it to the laser, like if you um, unplugged your computer, it would stop. And then you have ones like mine where there's an onboard motherboard where you send your job over and you can unplug your computer and it knows everything and it'll still keep running. So there's a whole... It's just referencing one file. Yeah, there's so many options in lasers. There's so many different things that are going on that doing your research can take a long time if you're seriously considering looking into one. I think I spent like six months researching machines before I ever bought one and then I when I got the one I it was not what I expected and then I hated it and then I bought a different one but I mean I I I never paid full price for either one of mine so far I think that's most of like hobby buying anyways is generally the first one you buy is not gonna be correct a one and done unless you have a good enough bank account to to get a one and done, you generally have to start with a lower end or start with one that's very used, mm-hmm. figure out what you like, what you don't like, and see if you can make some money with it and then try to flip it. Yep. And your budget will play into that. Oh, yeah. Like you're oh, yeah. not going to get a $30,000 machine for a thousand bucks. Like even yep. used, that's not going to happen. So you might get lucky and get. You know, a machine that's twenty thousand dollars for seven, but it's kind of you know it is what it is. It's an expensive, it's an expensive game to play. I mean, it is. You can get into CNC cheaper than you can laser. Very true. That is very true. But the thing about a laser is, a laser is a machine that you don't necessarily have to babysit. You shouldn't if you have a good one. If you have a good one, it's it should work on its own. Now you can have things like flare ups and yeah. this, you know this other stuff. I know whenever whenever I was there one time, we were working on a sign that had a lot of. It wasn't really you know really crazy font, but it had a lot of font that was on top of each other. Mm-hmm. And because the way the laser path ran, by it had heated up once basically one whole half of the font. And by the time it came around to the back side to start doing that, it was already catching the front side on fire because yeah. there was not any way to dissipate the heat. Yeah, there's so I've learned over the years like minimal line thicknesses I need in the design and things like that to try and reduce that. And if you have like an acute angle where it comes to a point, it could flare up on that corner. Oh yeah. So I mean it's know that it's going to happen. Like, don't flip out if it happens. Now, if it happens and then it stays, then that's a different story. But if it just happens and it goes away, it's going to happen. Don't worry about it. Yeah. But yeah. 
All right, so um, we've talked about wattages, I guess. Maybe run down just a little bit. I know you reference wattage on yours a decent amount. Yes. But run down kind of what wattage means as far as a laser goes. Like where where your different wattages are, your typical wattage ranges, and like what you can kind of do with those. Because I... I imagine on the engraving side, wattage is not necessarily that important. That's it's 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 more you know how how much can you engrave this quickly, but you're only taking off a sixteenth or so of material with mm-hmm. a pass, so you don't have to worry so much about wattage. But most people that want a laser probably want it to cut, so those wattages are going to come into play. So, the the stuff I'm referencing is specifically from an epilogue article. So. Their machines are air-cooled, so keep that in mind when I reference these numbers because they're referencing air-cooled lasers, not water-cooled. And the other thing with water-cooled is they're typically, if they say it's a 50-watt laser, it's typically overrated, which means it's probably in the 40s somewhere. It's, so, the best it could do at any given point is optimally, 50 yeah uh, optimally but it's going to really work in that that 95 percentile or that 90 percentile of overall wattage yeah so these wattages are specifically for epilogue machines so from their article a 30 watt is good for cutting up to one eighth of an inch a 40 watt is up to one quarter of an inch which i can attest to because i have a 40 watt and i've been cutting quarter inch a 50 to 60 watt is for up to 3 8 inch. And then 75 to about 120 is about a half of an inch. And there's other things that play into that 75 to 120 watt range. But when I looked at the article, that's it was kind of, you know, typically you're not going to cut over half of an inch thick on a laser. Um, so... Another thing with this is as the laser wattage goes up, your speed can increase for engraving time. And it's roughly 10% increase in speed for every 10 watts increase in power. So if you increase from a 30 watt to a 40 watt, your speed will go up 10%. If you go from a 40 to a 50, it'll go up 10%. That does not stand true once you hit 75. Because once you hit 75, you can't really keep going up 10% for every 10. So you start to increase closer to like, you know, three to 5% for every 10. Uh, But you still increase a little bit as you go up. And then your engraving speed purely from, you know, water-cooled to air-cooled is different too. So I don't know if these numbers hold true for a water-cooled system. Uh, But from my experience in working with other wattage systems of epilogue, so my friend has a 60 watt and his is indeed faster than my 40 watt and it's got the same motors and everything. So take that for what you will, I guess. Gotcha. And kind of break down, I guess, price point to go from a 30 to a 40 watt. You're looking at probably a couple thousand. So based off my recent inquiries into pricing, because I'm looking at a bigger machine, potentially. If I go from a 50 to a 60 watt, it's an extra, like, $1,500. Okay, so that's that's not if, bad. If I go from 
a 50 watt to a 75 watt, it was like $5,000. That sound, I kind of figured that sounds a little bit, that sounds better. So it's somewhere between $1,500 to $2,000 for a 10 watt increase, probably. Gotcha. Ish. Okay, so if you're not happy with the performance of a 30 watt, you could potentially get a 40 watt. So personally, watt. I would never buy a 30 watt. Um, I would buy minimally. Unless you got a heck of a deal on it. Yeah, I would buy minimally a 40 watt because I would always want to cut at least a quarter inch. I mean, gotcha. quarter inch I've watt. been cutting. Hmm? I was going to say a 30 watt is better for someone just trying to do engraving work. Oh yeah, if you're just engraving, 30 watt's fine. For me personally, because I'm cut a bunch of stuff i could not use a 30 watt gotcha okay but yeah all right all right so we're talking about money i guess oh yeah that what <laughs> it's definitely expensive oh it's definitely ex- for sure i mean woodworking is an expensive hobby for sure laser work crazy 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 but you have a lot less man hours involved should you should have less man hours so involved. Theoretically, you can do other stuff while your machine is running. So you can increase your productivity by twofold. It's like having an extra person in the shop. It is. You don't have to feed. Uh, you don't have to clothe. You don't have to provide insurance for. Yep. You just... You don't have to pay. You just set it up. <laughs> you run it. And then, I mean, you'll have to go back and set up the next job or whatever but yeah and you just keep a general eye on it but it's not yeah. like a table saw where you can just set a bunch of wood in front of a table saw and it's and come back a few minutes later and it's like oh look all this wood is cut correct nope nope it exactly. doesn't, doesn't quite apply but i mean i guess since we're talking about money mm-hmm. let's look at the pr- kind of the price points i imagine the cheap like our our kind of base number would be between three and five thousand that's like your very bottom end. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't go much below three. Like, granted, these are new prices. These are not Craigslist prices, but yeah, they're they're not used. These are like, yeah, these are if you're just stepping into it and you want to get a brand new machine, so you don't have to worry about fighting with a used one. Correct. So the way I structured these prices is kind of like under five thousand, five to ten, ten to twenty, and then over twenty. Because I mean, there's. There's still, you know, different levels between 10 and 15 and 15 and 20. But in general, these are the kind of the price levels. So under five is going to be like your eBay Chinese special where you're going to get. It's going to look really good on paper because you're going to see this two foot by three foot machine with exhaust fan and air compressor and everything you need to get started. Three thousand dollars. You're going to you're going to pay for that later. Just trust me. Because there was a guy that bought one. He had me come and look at it and try to get it up and running for him. And at this point, I had like three years of experience with lasers. And I was like, I can't even handle this. Like, it's pissing me off. And getting anything aligned was a pain. If you opened up the laser, so this was brand new from ebay or amazon or whatever it was like three thousand dollars you open up the lid rust everywhere because it was on a ship that came over here 
So it was it's probably close. probably set it probably sat in a Connex for like fourteen months before. Oh, yeah. But he was like, Oh, I'm not worried about the rust. I was like, if I spent three thousand dollars, there better not be any rust on whatever no. I'm buying. No. So that's what you're gonna get for under five. Now they're gonna be like some machines may go on sale from, you know, American supported import machines, but without sales under five grand is usually gonna be your Chinese stuff. Yeah, occasionally Woodcraft or Rockler, I think, has a deal on their, like, mini, mini, mini laser. Like, it's yeah. la- laser in a box, yep. I guess is what I would call it. Um, they occasionally have sales on them, I think, for, like, $4,200 out yeah. the door. Yeah, I mean, that happens. So then... But, but you have no... Like, it's it's a... You can tell it's a quality machine, but you have no footprint. You might be able to do, like, a coaster at yeah. a time. yeah. So under five grand, unless you really want the most basic of basic things, just to try, just to basically kind of get your hands into it, under five grand is almost useless. It's too, almost too it's basically too good to be true. Yeah, yeah. A so, CNC under five grand is, you know, you can get by with that and you're fine. Yeah, and bulls or uh, shape oko something. Like unless that. you have like a Craigslist deal or something under five grand would not be something i'd recommend anymore after seeing and experiencing them gotcha and then you kind of have the five to ten so i think which i think is our our kind of optimal hobby level like optimal entry into laser work so these are going to be like your full spectrum your boss laser your glowforge and dremel so dremel has a laser they do. The Dremel is based off of the full spectrum Muse, and they changed some stuff on it. What the but heck? Regardless, so you're looking okay. at those. That's where those price points are kind of around. Now, don't get me wrong. All those companies, except for Glowforge and Dremel, have machines that are bigger that cost more. But for like a 12 inch by 20 inch machine, you're looking in that price range. And maybe even a little bit bigger. So you could probably get a two foot by three foot from one of those companies for $8,000. But they're still water cooled. They're still the glass tube. And those tubes all come from China. A lot of the components in the machines are from China. The software might be made by the company. So like Full Spectrum has their own software. And it's more of the entry level hobby-ish. And... I mean, even Full Spectrum calls one of their lasers the hobby laser. So this is where you're going to look price range-wise for entry-level machines. Because I've had people lately ask me, oh, I want to get a laser. Can you make a recommendation? I say, what's your budget? And they say $1,000. And I say, you don't have a budget. Like, unfortunately, you need You need to save a little bit more. Yeah. And then you have your ten to 20000 so this is where your it's kind of like a mix of entry level and mid range entry level from a air cooled standpoint. So this is where you're going to start to see the epilogues, the universals, the trotex. They're going to be starting in this range. And this is where you can get either a bigger air or bigger water cooled system like two feet by three foot. Or you can get a like 12 inch by 24 inch epilogue 
that's air-cooled. And, well, you know my spiel. I prefer Oh, yeah. You're always, you're always going to go Epilogue. Yeah, so. and air-cooled. So. Yeah, I mean, Epilogue has done well for me. And no, I'm not sponsored by Epilogue. Their machines. It would, it would be really nice. Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> that'd be a heck of a be a heck of a sponsorship. It would. Their their machines are really good and reliable. Their tech support has been fantastic for me personally, and I've never had an issue. Any issues I've had with my epilogue were all caused by me. So, on top of that, then you have the twenty thousand dollar plus. So this can drastically skyrocket. So if you get into industrial level, you're talking six figures. But for twenty thousand, this is probably your starting point for fiber lasers. Uh, this is also, yeah, <laughs> correct. So like a two foot by three foot from Epilogue Universal Trotec, they'll be in the thirty thousand plus range. Twenty thousand dollars plus will be like, um like a 12 inch by 24 or an 18 inch by 24 inch with some options like a rotary attachment uh, and things like that. So it's not a small investment at all. And I'm not, you know, I'm not telling you to go spend a ton of money because if I were getting started again, I would do the same exact thing that I did, which was go to somebody that does it for a business or has one as a hobby, talk to them and try to see if they'll let you see it and come look at it and experience it. And I mean, I met Bill and he was more than willing to teach me all about it. Let me watch it. He taught me how to run it. He taught me how to design for it. And then once I knew that I really, really wanted one, and that I think I could make money from it, that's when I went and pulled the trigger. Like, it was two or three years before I ever bought one. Like, I was doing laser stuff for at least two years before I bought a laser because I was sourcing it to somebody that let me go and see it and work with it myself. Gotcha. Now, I know... Not everybody will let you do that, but... That's true. That's true. Um, For those that do want to see a rotary in action, I know... Man, Chad from Mancrafting, he's mm -hmm. got a rotary on, what kind of machine does he have? He does has he have a... a boss laser. Okay, so he has, he has the Chinese laser. Um, Tony from, from the Hill Country Engraving, uh, that's my buddy out of Texas, mm -hmm. uh, he, he has the rotary attachment. He does a lot of stemware, a lot of glasses and, and things like that. He also does the tumblers. Yep. His is a Laguna laser? Is it a Laguna? Are you talking about Tony? Yeah, Tony. He has an I epilogue said, zing. Oh, that's I what think. it is. It's an epilogue. I don't know why I keep thinking he has a Laguna. He sold... I forget what he kind of Laguna. He sold a CNC he, machine, I think. He sold a, C, a Laguna CNC to help pay for yeah. the laser. That's why I keep thinking it's a Laguna. Bill, he, Bill, Bill from Pinpoint Creative yeah. Studio. He has a rotary. Um, I'm looking at getting one in the future. I don't have one yet. And then there's... I think it would be good for you to do... like. If you could get one soon enough, Christmas ornaments. Yeah. Rotary Christmas ornaments. I might. I'll have to look into that. Or if you could figure out how to do them, those like paper, they're since, you know, because the 
the original basis of your business was paper cutting. Mm-hmm. Do the paper cut ornaments to where all you got to do is unfold it, and it's it's a ball shape, but it's you know it looks like a picture. Those take months to design. That's I th- I think I've, I think somebody told me that they found like some online. There might be. You might have to pay like, for the template or something. You probably have to pay to for the template. Use them, yeah. But... Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's... kind of like the the basics. I would yeah, say. Which, I would think that's, that's, that's a lot that's, of And we've covered but... we've covered a lot of basics. Um, and you'll hear the arguments, and we're not going to cover the argument on this episode. But you'll hear the arguments the, of the Chinese. Air-cooled... Oh, well, I was going to say air cooled versus water cooled oh, yeah, because that too. in my in my head. I think water cooled is a lot better for large format. It might be I, I from an think, actual cooling standpoint. Yeah. But performance wise, I haven't found that it even held a candle to air cooled. I don't know. I just feel like from years of using, you know, high quality metal machines that having having a liquid cooling system, having a liquid coolant would yep. be more successful. I mean, think about high-end computers. High-end computers are not air-cooled anymore. Well, they are all liquid-cooled. Like, if they're really big. I Like I said, I haven't seen a really seen big a, one that's yeah. air-cooled. But you also they, hear... I'm sorry? I was going to say, I think at that level of having that big of a, a work area and mm-hmm. that wattage of a laser, it probably would have to be water-cooled. Probably. Or a combination of liquid and, and air. Yeah, and you'll hear the argument of Chinese lasers versus U.S. supported imports that are basically Chinese lasers rebranded and then either made in the USA or made by a company like Trotec, I don't think, is in the USA. I could be wrong about that. I forget where they're from, Uh, but they're from Europe, I think. So it's kind of that, you know high end and i would say the top three brands are universal trotec and epilogue and that's pretty standard on all the forums i've ever been on gotcha i think you know i think not all of your components can be necessarily american made it would be very difficult and it would be cost prohibitive uh i well that might be why their machines cost so much yeah i mean i i have a feeling like if you get to a certain point it's almost like apple Nothing is made in like there's nothing made in America, but it's so, an American-based company. Yeah, everything's made overseas, but it's made to a level to meet American standards. And I don't, I mean, Eplogs are actually branded made in the USA, so I don't. I, that just seems crazy to me because I do. We, we wouldn't think all of the components could be American-made. I made. cannot attest to whether or not they are. It's just what the machine says, and the. I think we'll have future episodes too because there's another one that I get all the time is CNC versus laser and why you'd want one over the other. And I'm telling you right now, you want both. It's apples and oranges. Yeah. It's if you really want like a full maker shop long term, you need both. Yeah. And as much as that's going to suck to hear because the laser can cut extremely small things extremely well that a CNC because of the diameter of the bit and your constrictions with that just can't do. And there's a whole whole lot of reasons why you want one machine for applications versus another machine. So I think a future episode will be 
specifically CNC versus laser and the differences and all that stuff. I think we need to find somebody that's really well versed in CNC and bring them I have them an on. idea for who that'll be. Ooh. All right. So if I can get them, we'll do that. All right. That'd be a good idea. I know Martina could probably say a lot about a hobby level CNC, but I don't know that her primary part of her business is CNC work. I don't think it is. Yeah. Because she does, but... she does complain about her CNC a decent amount. But lately, she's been complaining about her stencil cutter thingy. I don't, I don't know. She, she hates it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, this is just like the first episode that we had planned. So if there's more laser topics or things that people want to hear, they can let us know and we can address them. Yeah, and guys, I really want to throw this out here. I know Trevor's been getting a decent amount of questions, I guess maybe because I don't use my stories enough. Send us questions, please, because that's how it's that's how we're going to help drive the podcast in certain directions. I can talk about woodworking and old tools all day long, but I need someone to say specifically, hey, I want to know about X thing. Will I be an expert in it? Not necessarily, but I'll have a lot better I have a lot better avenue to go towards it if someone tells me that's what they want to go towards. Just like Martina and I talked about restoring hand tools because she had tools that she wanted to know how to get back in working condition, back in good condition. So she, you know, point blank asked me and I said, let's just do a topic about it. Let's do a podcast about it. And that's what we did. So please, please ask us these questions. Send us DMs. And the other thing we can say is, Start using the Maker Vision podcast hashtag or Maker Vision tribe hashtag so we can try to find all of our listeners um, because we both share the Maker Vision podcast Instagram account. Some of us know, I know some of our listeners better than Trevor knows. Trevor knows someone better than I do. But if we can look forward on our main Instagram, our personal Instagrams, look for those hashtags, we can bring more people into the tribe. So if you guys could do that, that would be great. Yep. Soapbox over. There you go. <laughs> yeah, you kind of focus more. It's good because we have very different backgrounds. Yes. So we have a varied level of experience to talk about. Yes, yes. It's It's not like some podcasts that I listen to, it's all very specific woodworking people, you know, which is great because I learned a lot more about woodworking that way, but, you know, I want our ours to be maker-focused. So if we have questions about things that neither one of us know about, well, you know what, we'll research and we'll talk about them. I know a little bit about leather, but I don't know a lot about leather, so shoot us a question about leather and we'll, we'll figure it out. Yep. So. All right. I think we've talked, well, I've talked a lot. All right. That'll good. That's good. That's good. So maybe next week I'll talk more. I don't know. And now I have a child. And now you have a child. Can, can I have some dark blue Gatorade? Yes, Hello. you can have some dark blue Gatorade. Yay. Yay. So. She's cute. I think that is. I closed it all for no dark Gatorade. She's no. a I have no idea what she just said. She said, I'm going to close the door so the dogs can't get in. Ah, okay. Okay. That's good. That's good. So, with I that, think that's a good way. Yeah. I think that's a good way to finish the episode. I think we have should end cute, every episode child. on my child running in and asking for something. Asking for, for something. Can I have pizza for breakfast? 
typically can I edit dogs it out. eat oreos yeah typically i edit it out but this time i think i'm gonna keep it yeah definitely we need to up that cuteness factor so she has it she definitely does she definitely does so all right on that note i think the podcast is good for this week guys uh thanks for listening to us again and uh we'll see you next week yep i'll talk to you later man all right take it easy trevor bye thank you for listening to our show be sure to check out makervisionpodcast.com we'll post valuable resources tips and info about anything we've talked into talked about in today's shows or past shows and all these things are to help your maker vision become a maker reality. If you have any questions or suggestions or any comments about what you heard today or, once again, in previous episodes, feel free to drop us a line at makervisionpodcast at gmail.com, on Instagram at makervisionpodcast, or through mine and Trevor's personal Instagram accounts, and that is Old South Woodcraft or Maker Experiment. If you like the show... Please give us a five-star review and uh, and just some really nice words to, to let us know how good we're doing. Or if you didn't like it, let us know what you didn't like about it. Either way, we're happy to hear from you. And you can go and do that on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Once again, thank you for joining us on our podcast, and we really look forward to hearing, hearing from you next week. <laughs>